Welcome to the Woman Warriors Podcast, where we're working to help you call a truce with your anxiety. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, here's your host, Elizabeth Cush, LCPC. Welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. We are at episode 20 this week. Crazy that I've recorded 20 episodes. I really wasn't sure how this journey would go when I started out. I knew this was something I wanted to do and felt passionate about, helping women manage and call a truce with their anxiety. But I wasn't sure how much I would like podcasting. Guess what? I love it. And I also wasn't sure how much material there would be to cover. Guess what? There's a ton. So it's been a great journey so far. I look forward to continuing this journey with you. Uh, If you do have uh, ideas or suggestions about what you would like to hear on the podcast, please reach out to me through my website, progressioncounseling.com. There's a contact form there or through the Woman Warriors com. There's also a contact form there. So please uh, reach out and let me know what you would like to hear discussed on this podcast. Our guest this week is Dr. Jennifer Weeks. We're talking about problematic sexual behavior. So this is adult content. If you have young kids that you would prefer not to hear adult content, here's your warning. This is what's coming. Also, if you are interested uh, in getting started with meditation and you have put it off, procrastinated, said, I don't know how to do it, I have a free guide to get you started. And if you fill out the form at progressioncounseling.com forward slash guided meditations, I will also send you a couple of free meditations. So check that out if you would like to get started meditating. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Jennifer Weeks on problematic sexual behavior. Hi, everyone, and welcome back this week to the Woman Warriors podcast with our guest, Jennifer Weeks. She is a um, PhD who has a practice in Plymouth Meeting and Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where they specialize in sexual addictions and compulsivity, as well as other addictions and trauma, right? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so pleased to have you back. Full disclosure, Jennifer and I had a conversation (laughs) last week where I forgot to hit the record button. So we're going to do this again. And I really appreciate your flexibility. And Oh, no worries. We'll just see what happens this time. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So um, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about you and what brought you to this line of work. Um, I have a very convoluted road to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's sort of, it's a full circle thing. So I um, went to graduate school really in uh, what is now called the neuropsych program. Um, and it was a lot of, you know, brain and behavior work. And my goal was to, um, was really to teach, was to be a professor. I really liked the teaching part. Um, and I came out of graduate school in a time when there really were no academic jobs 
um, and on a whim moved out to Colorado to uh, start actually in the counseling field and started working with substance abuse clients mainly and a lot of adjudicated um, offenders with domestic violence issues and sexual offending issues um, and really that morphed into doing a lot of work with uh, sexual addiction or problematic sexual behavior, um, you know, and coming back to Pennsylvania, um, started working. I worked at uh, the Princeton uh, Hospital's partial program for uh, women's trauma and addiction, which if anyone ever needs a resource in that area is an amazing program, um, as well as working with um, sexual addiction and then it sort of morphed into where it is. I, I say it's full circle because I was told by my mother um, a story not that long ago that I did not remember that apparently when she was in the, when I was in the sixth grade, she was called into the principal's office because I wanted to give everyone a Rorschach test for my science fair project. <laughs> um, so apparently I kind of always knew I was going to end up here. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to analyze you right now. Right? And they were like, your daughter's 12. She can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. So, so could you define, you know, you had, you had just mentioned problematic sexual behavior. So for you, right. what is that? What does that look like? Well, and, and I just had a, a conversation with another therapist about this recently, that there's kind of two factions talking about this, right? There's really um, the sort of academic folks um, who are aligned perhaps with ASECT, which is the sex therapists um, organization, or more with the sex addiction um, community, and there's this ongoing battle slash debate about is sexual addiction real? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which we can get into. I obviously work with it, so I think it's real. Right. Um, right. You know, and then there's the other piece of boots on the ground, right? Like, does it really matter what we're going to call things because people are coming in when they have problems? Right. So, what we see, um, we see a lot of people who struggle with pornography. Um, and so when, and when I say struggle with pornography, it's not just like they're looking at a little bit of porn. This is, you know, people who are frequently engaging with pornography at a level where it's um, causing massive disruption to their lives, relationships, jobs, legal consequences, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pe- people whose compulsive behavior, sexually compulsive behavior can range to, you know, adult bookstores or prostitutes or, um, you know, online hookups. Um, a lot of what we see these days is really digitally enhanced. So there's a million ways to, um, you know, sexually engage with technology. And so we do see, you know, a lot of that. And personally, I do a lot of work with cyber sex offenders. So, you know, people are coming in for a whole gamut of, of issues. And, you know, we specialize in this. So if you're coming into my office, we know we're talking about sex and something's going on in that realm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know we talked a little bit about this last time, but that the talking about it part can be extremely difficult because people don't talk about this. Absolutely. I mean, and it's so, um, you know, anxiety provoking, stress provoking, shame inducing for so many people, um, just partly because of how our culture treats sexuality and perhaps how people's, um, you know, faith traditions treat sexuality, but there's just so much 
concern about um, being judged, right? If I come in and talk to a therapist and I say this deep, dark, dark secret that I'm so ashamed of, you know, what are they going to do? Are they going to, you know, raise an eyebrow? Are they going to call me a name? Are they going to judge me? And so it's just so hard, um, you know, to talk about anything sexual um, that, you know, a lot of people, when they're, they're coming into us, it's, it's kind of a secret that they've held for years and years and years because they've held this for so long and they didn't know where to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the other side of that, like the people who are struggling with the addiction, I would imagine there's a ton of anxiety around that, but then people who are with partners who maybe are struggling with, you know, problematic sexual behaviors, like to share that with anybody would also be extremely difficult. That's, and, and I think that's um, sometimes harder, right? And um, in my practice, I'll just sort of speak to sort of what we see is that the majority of our clients who come in with problematic behavior are male. We do have female clients who come in and the majority of their partners are female. So that's just, I speak to what, you know, we see. Yeah. And that a lot of these women that come in are, um, blown away, right? They had no idea their partner was engaging in whatever behavior they were engaging in. So there's this initial shock, which is akin to like a PTSD, right? There's betrayal, there's trauma, there's disbelief, you know, there's all of this anxiety. And because sex and sexuality is something that we just keep secret, they're holding all of this stress and shock and trauma and anxiety themselves frequently because it's just not something that you sit down with your girlfriends at coffee and talk about for the most part. It's like, Hey, what's going on? Oh, well, you know, by the way, I found out, you know, my husband's doing X. You know, we just don't do it. Right. Um, So these, these women, you know, that we see in our practice really end up suffering um, because they don't know where to put all of those emotions and they don't have a a really good outlet to share. Yeah. And so, I mean, you just said that, you know, typically your average client is a man and their partners are female, but I'm guessing this crosses, you know, all relationships that there can be problematic sex, you know, uh, uh, problematic sexual behavior in any kind of relationship. Absolutely. And, and I think what, what you see, you know, and why are there more male clients is a, you know, sort of a study in and of itself. And, and I do think that as a, a piece of that is that as, as stigmatizing as it is for a man to to come in and say he's got a sexual problem, you know, there's so much more judgment on women, you know, that um, there's kind of a bit of a double standard. So we see, we see few women, we do see some, but I, I guarantee you there's a lot more women out there who are struggling with this, because, but don't go to seek help. You know why? Well, women, you know, we're not supposed to be sexual. If I go and say, you know, I'm really struggling, I'm hooking up with all these people and it, I don't want to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, am I going to be slut shamed? Is, you know, is somebody going to look at me like I'm, you know, this horrible person? And, and God, women just don't come in for this reason. They'll come in for other reasons. Yeah. And so, you know, what do you, you know, how do you see, um, so you talked a little bit about how um, this affects the women who are in relationships with people who are struggling with problematic sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. And how do you see the anxiety showing up around that? Like what? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, obviously everything is person dependent, but there's a lot of um, manifestation of anxiety in a number of ways. And I'll just see if I can try to coherently put some together. We see a lot of women who, um, 
initially really start to blame themselves, right? So it, it can affect their self-esteem, their body image. If I was, you know, prettier or sexier or looked more like the women in pornography or acted more like the women in pornography, maybe my partner wouldn't go there. And, you know, obviously that's a very distorted thought. That's not the reality. Um, you know, so women can really struggle frequently with this, you know, less than not good enough. Mm, if only I'd if be. only, yep. Yeah. And you know, that's so damaging to our self-esteem, right? Oh and gosh. it's it's just a horrible thing to live with, particularly because, you know, you'd be comparing yourself to, you know, to manufactured situations and, you know, actors who are frequently um, you know, not as they came into this earth, you know, they're frequently enhanced. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're comparing ourselves to this, you know, unrealistic ideal. So a lot of women really struggle with that. Um, you know, I think a second way we really see a lot of this stress and anxiety manifest is is um, in behaviors um, like checking and seeking and snooping and you know all of these behaviors that um, are what they're really doing is they're trying to seek some level of safety and some level of trust right my trust is shattered it's blown away I had no idea my partner was doing this how do I feel safe mm-hmm. um, you know and and if anyone has ever experienced any kind of experience you know situation in life where you don't feel safe that's you know horrifying and you'll do just about anything you can to try to feel some sense of safety Mm -hmm. Um, you know so frequently it's you know checking emails checking phone checking text messages um, you know putting a gps on somebody's car and you know all of these things that really in the end are just really unhealthy all right because what does it do it ends up promote um you know promoting this sort of cycle of you know mistrust and anxiety and but again it's it's this how do i feel safe how do i feel safe i can't trust you the only thing i can trust is what i see with my eyes yeah well and then that constant level of i have to check i have to check i have to check so that keeps that level of anxiety so ramped up and and then you know i think you know for some people it just becomes so patterned and you know maybe even compulsive for some that to let that go feels intolerable as well because then i have to actually sit with the anxiety Mm-hmm. And I have to learn to sit with the fact that I can't control any human being's behavior and I can't guarantee any human being's behavior. And, you know. Yeah. And I have to trust that this is going to be okay or right. whatever. Or they're and if it's not, that I'm going to figure out what to do with it. It's, it's, you know, a terrifying perspective at some level, you know. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So we, you know, we see a lot of that and, and that's a struggle for, you know, for partners in treatment is to let that go. And, um, you know, a lot of times when we start talking to partners about, okay, you know, what are we doing about this? Maybe we can find some other ways to try to seek some safety and maybe let go of some of this. They're, they get angry. There's some pushback, you know, they're not really pleased with us, but you know, it's not, we're not trying to say, you know, you're doing something wrong, but we're just trying to say, you know, what you're doing is hurting you more than it is helping you in the end. Right, right. And that's and what we kind of want to help people with. Absolutely. Because too, then it, un, I would imagine, undermines the safety of the relationship because one, the partner maybe who has the problematic sexual behavior doesn't feel trusted and is working on regaining right. trust. And yet there's this cycle of, I don't believe you. This isn't safe. This isn't okay. And this, the resentments can come in and, oh. you know, whenever a resentment enters a relationship, we've got trouble. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. And so do you ever, you know, does your work focus on the individual or on couple work? Like how does that typically... Yeah, so, I mean, my practice, myself and, and the clinicians that um, work here, we all do individual work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a best case scenario, um, 
you know, clinically for me, you know, somebody comes in, whoever's got the problematic behavior is doing some individual therapy, the partner's doing individual therapy. And, you know, a lot of partners don't want to because, you know, they didn't do whatever it is or they don't have the problem. But, you know, we try to say you need some support, right? Because if you've got the anxiety or the shame, you're not talking to your family, you're not talking to your friends, you need some support. Yeah. And then in the end, you know, we do try for people who are willing to refer folks out to couples therapy. But, you know, I don't really think my personal opinion, we don't do that right away. You know, we need some crisis stability. We need to kind of get people going um, before they get into couples therapy. Yeah. Some people do it differently. That's kind of how we like to do things. Well, and I would, I mean, I would imagine that the person who's struggling, you know, would need some individual work to better understand what's driving it, what, you know, what brought them there. Mm -hmm. How can we kind of get a handle and stop the things we don't want to do? And, you know, and and really what, um, you know, for me and, and how a lot of us look at this is that if it's sexual addiction, it's really not got anything to do with sex. And when I teach, I always say that, you know, sex addiction has nothing to do with sex, which people don't always get, but it's really an intimacy disorder, right? It's about connection, right? Um, you know, and so we're using these sexual behaviors in a way, um, you know, to get intimacy and connection in a way that's not so much work. And so like, if you've got somebody in a relationship, the partner's always like, well, you know, that's crap, right? Like, here I am, (laughs) you know, I'm your partner. I'm willing to be intimate with you. Like, I want to do this, but it's about, um, you know, sort of effort at some level that depending on, you know, what everybody's stuff is, their attachment issues are, um, you know, to be emotionally intimate with someone is a lot of work. It takes a lot of vulnerability. Oh, that's just what I was going to say. It's a vulnerable place. It's so vulnerable and so scary. And you know what? To go have a controlled, intimate connection with my computer is so much safer than to have to go invest time and energy and intimacy and vulnerability into my wife because that would be the healthy thing. But, ooh, that's a bit too much. I'm going to go over here. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that vulnerability piece too, like, as you said, with attachment, like if you, if it's hard for you to feel vulnerable and close and intimate in any kind of a relationship, if you didn't get that growing up, or right. that was not something that was reinforced, then trying to transfer that into a sexual relationship would be almost, I don't know, seems like it's, it would take a lot of work. It's, yeah, and it's it, a lot of personal work to work through that. And, you know, you'll, a lot of people, um, you know, look at this in that attachment realm. And um, Alexandra Katahakis, who's a sex addiction therapist out in California, wrote a great book. It's a bit more academic about really looking at sex addiction as, um, you know, affect regulation and attachment issues, mm. um, you know, which is a good read if anybody's in the, it, it's not a light read. <laughs> um, you know, it's a bit heavy. Um, but really, at at looking at, at all of this, this anxiety around attachment and connection. And, you know, if someone is securely attached, they behave very differently. And if we're anxiously attached, we behave very differently. And, um, you know, I think, and this is just what's in my head without any research behind it, but I think a lot of times, you know, it, these ruptures when you have problematic uh, sexual behavior can create kind of like a pseudo anxious attachment in the partner, right? Because it's like, what's going to happen? What's this anxiety is ramped up and um, you know, it's not so much, are they going to leave, but are they going to act out? And it just becomes a really anxious relationship, Mm. um, 
which just, you know, it's muddy and it's complicated and, you know, it's very hard sometimes for the people who with the problematic behavior to, to walk that fine line between, you know, being empathetic to their spouse or their partner and then the resentments. We're always kind of working with that, but can you see where he or she's coming from that we've got, you know, they're hurt, they're betrayed. That's why they're doing this behavior to try to temper that resentment of, you know, I'm a grown man. I have no privacy. I can't, you know, right. Right. She's she put a GPS on my car. <laughs> right. You know, it's a, but it's that balancing act of trying to get them to understand that, you know, your wife is not crazy. Mm-hmm. She's anxious. She's scared. She's she doesn't right. feel safe. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how, you know, you know, we we're talking, you know, about men and women both having mm-hmm. potentially problematic sexual behavior. Do you see a difference in how, the problematic behavior presents for men versus for women? Um, I do, you know, in my practice. And again, you know, do we know if this is the, what's really going on because women aren't coming in? But um, you see a lot more men, uh, you know, for digital things, right? Pornography, mm-hmm. um, sexting apps. Um, a lot of the women that we see are women that are in um, either chronic relationships um, or lots of extra marital or extra relational relationships. So lots of hookups, lots of boyfriends on the side from their primary relationship um, or girlfriends. Most, again, most frequently, we see most frequently in my practice, heterosexual couples, Um, you know, and a lot of that, you know, you know, a lot of the women that we see are coming from a place of childhood trauma, you know, so sexual abuse, frequently emotional abuse, parental neglect. Yeah. So they've learned that, you know, the only way to have value or to get attention is through something sexual. And if you're starved from att- for attention from childhood and you just want someone to notice you, well, what's the best way to get somebody to notice you quickly is frequently through, you know, something sexual. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So trying to feel connected in a way and yet it sort of reinforces I would imagine the disconnection because it's not really intimate if you're just hooking up right and it's it's attention Mm -hmm. it's short-term attention so it fills that hole um really briefly you know so it feels good in the moment because okay I don't feel whatever rejected or lonely but it's the aftermath where it you know exacerbates underlying problems that you know if it's worse if I'm feeling like I'm only you know, worthy when it comes to sex and I'm having one night stands with people, um, you know, even if you think, you know, that's what's going on ahead of time, there's usually a piece in the back of your head, you know, why isn't he calling? And I'm just being used for sex and mixed messages everywhere. And so, you know, what, what's the work for you? Like, what is it that you do? And, you know, the clinicians that work with you, how do they help one, people who themselves have problematic sexual behaviors or mm-hmm. partners of. Sure. I, I, I'm kind of looking at things lately in this three-pronged approach, and, and it's just um, initial is crisis management usually, right? Very few people come in because one day they wake up and they're like, you know, I think what I'm doing is unmanageable. I'm going to go get help. Right. Um, you know, people come in most of the time because a spouse finds out what's going on. Um, an employer finds out what's going on. There's some legal issues. There's health issues. Right. You know, so there's usually a crisis that brings people in. Um, you know, I've had my own practice for about eight and a half years now. And 
I think I can count on one hand the number of people who came in because they were just really reflecting and thought they needed to change these things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's usually some sort of... It, there's a crisis. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. So we do a lot of crisis management, you know, and so for partners, you know, if the, you know, the acting out partners behavior involves other people, this is body safety, right? Like, do you need to go get tested? Do we need to worry about your physical health? Are they safe in their home? You know, are there any domestic violence issues? And just really a lot about, you know, safety and crisis for the partner, crisis management for the person who's engaging in the behavior too. Once the crisis has kind of settled down a little bit, um, really in the beginning, it's kind of cognitive behavioral therapy, like figure out what we want to stop, tools to stop, um, you know, get you extra support, help people learn alternative coping mechanisms, learn their triggers, um, you know, and then we're very big advocates of not just putting a Band-Aid on a problem, mm-hmm. um, but going for that root cause. And, and I think that comes out of my history working in substance abuse um, treatment where, you know, insurance says, oh, well, you know, they haven't gotten high in six weeks, they're done, let them go, and <laughs> haven't even scratched the surface, right? Mm-hmm. So once we're pretty stable and we've got some time without, you know, engaging in those behaviors, then we start digging into, you know, is there trauma that needs to be worked through? We've got, um, you know, everybody in the office does some form of trauma therapy, whether that's EMDR or EFT or TREM or, um, you know, seeking safety for women, you know, so we've, everybody's that does some trauma work, you know, even if the trauma isn't necessarily 100% directly related to the sexual behavior, it's influencing what's going on. Um, You know, we do a lot of uh, family of origin work, uh, you know, boundary work, all affect regulation, I think is one of the biggest ones, you know, teaching people, helping to guide them to just sit with their feelings, Mm -hmm. um, how to cope, how to regulate themselves. Because a lot of the the acting out, the sexual acting out is, is also, you know, it's a means of emotion regulation. I don't want to feel whatever I'm feeling. I'm going to go numb out. Well, any of us who have spent, you know, time like shopping online or even just in Google, click, 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 you can lose an hour without even blinking. That's a fact. Yes. Right. Like I can do that on shoe websites, but you know, so you lose that time. And so if I want to, you know, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. That's the tech internet is a great way to just zone out. Um, You know, so it's alternate coping skills and then how to sit with it. Cause you know, sometimes we just feel horrible and it's not going away. Yep. And how do we just learn to sit in that? So we also do a lot of work with, um, you know, mindfulness and meditation and breathing and, you know, a lot of um, body, you know, trying to get them connected back into their body. Yeah. Really understanding what's, yeah, what's happening before you get to that place where you're zoned out. Right. And that's, um, you know, I always, for anyone who does, um, you know, mindfulness work or, you know, any kind of Buddhist psychology, the the observer mind is, um, you know, if we can get a client to have that observer mind or that piece of themselves that can say, okay, what's going on here before they do it. Right. Yeah. That like, I think for me, my clients who are most successful um, have cultivated, however they have, because it's different for everybody that observer mind, because that's what I call breaks, right? When, when somebody first comes in and you're like, why on earth did you do X? I don't know. Well, they didn't in the beginning until you start to unpack it. And that observer mind, you know, through the the breathing and the meditation and all of that, they can be like, oh, 
it gives you breaks. Even if it's like three seconds, Absolutely, I've got enough room where I can make a decision. And same goes for partners, right? If I'm in that anxious compulsive loop of checking, 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 I've got that observer mind. We can be like, Oh God, I really, really, really want to check. Yes. I've got 10 seconds to say, do I want to do this? Can I do something else? Or am I just going to go there? And it can help immensely. Oh yeah, that pause. And mm -hmm. but also, you know, I think the mindfulness and meditation again allows you to uh, really truly better know yourself and like, yes. like the things that are, like I said, like the thoughts and feelings that enter before you go to that compulsive or mm -hmm. behavior. It's like, oh, right. This is what's going on. Right. I felt this way and then I didn't want to feel that way anymore. So then I went to, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And I, and I mean, that's, it's a scary place for people to go, right? Because if I spend some time introspecting, you know, and particularly I think for partners, because it is a very difficult road to navigate being a partner to someone who has an addiction and I don't care what kind of addiction it oh, is. Yeah. It's so difficult to navigate that there's an anxiety that's going to come with anybody. There's an acceptance. If you stay in that relationship that that partner can always relapse, right? Like there's, we have to accept that there's a chance, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that's really hard. And I think sometimes subconsciously, a lot of people struggle to do a lot of that introspection and the mindfulness work because it, it that voice that says do you want to stay might creep up yeah right, right? Yeah. i might start feeling things that i don't really know if i'm ready to feel right and you know and, and if, whether you stay or go you know we don't say either way but if that voice is there then we need to process that what's making you think maybe you should go okay and, and help you work through all of those feelings to ultimately make you know, for the partner, what their best decision is, right. um, you know, and I think when it comes to any kind of addiction, you know, and the substance stuff, obviously the opiates is in the news every day. Mm -hmm. We don't pay enough attention to what it's like to be a family member mm. of someone with an addict and whether that's a, you know, a wife or a mom or a sibling, um, you know, it's a really grueling road. Is this the day that you're going to get the phone call that they're going to be dead? Is this, you know, the day that, you know, if he's late, is he out with an escort? You know, there's so much anxiety just living day to day mm, with addiction. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, too, like, I mean, it's the adage one day at a time, right? Like you're getting mm -hmm. this day, but you don't know what tomorrow will be. But that's yeah. true for the, the support people as well. Absolutely. And that's really difficult because, you know, I mean, I own my stuff. I'm a control freak. I have a hard time with that every day by day just for today. Um, you know, but it's really difficult to, to say, okay, I love this person. I'm willingly going to continue in this relationship knowing mm -hmm. that tomorrow could be great or tomorrow could be very different. Yeah. Oof. That would be really hard. I, yeah. Yeah. And, and as you said, that that's true of any addiction. Really. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think with, with, any of the struggles when it becomes to sexuality is it just adds a whole nother notch, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the shame and, and the stigma that, you know, years ago there was much more of a stigma to being an alcoholic. Now, you know, people will admit that much more readily. Um, you know, drug addiction still has a stigma. It's not what it was 20 years ago. Um, stigma around sexual problems is still huge. There's this, um, particularly I think for women who have children, oh, your partner's doing X. Are your children safe? Right. 
even if it's got the behavior has nothing to do with children there's this like jump that oh is is this person going to do anything with the kids which right. makes me a little crazy because i do work with offenders and it's just not necessarily one plus one equals two um but there's a lot of stigma and there's stigma for women. Um, what, you know, a lot of studies are showing these days is that there's stigma for women for staying. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking back to like news stories of Mm -hmm. people, the wives who have stood up for their partners on the news or whatever, right. The media. And you can just hear the, like the backlash of like, what's wrong with you or right. What's wrong with you? How could you stay? Or why would you stay? And, you know, talk about, you know, isolating if you're that, that partner, that spouse who's like, well, you know, I love him. He's got, he's got issues. I'm going to be there. I have a family. We've got this history. There's a million reasons to stay just like there's a ton of reasons to go and just not respecting women's choices. There's a stigma for that too. Oh my gosh. Totally. (laughs) So, so much, right. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's hard to talk about. And so are there tips that you would offer the listeners if either they're in a relationship or they themselves are struggling with problematic sexual behavior? Absolutely. I mean, both ends, um, either whether it's you or it's your partner, relation, you know, family member, even if, if there's legal things going on, you know, find help. Um, find somebody to talk to that can be a double-edged sword so what I tend to tell people is if it's a sexual behavior or if it's anything related to that you need to find a therapist who is comfortable in their own sexuality and has had some training Mm -hmm. Um, you know we've had people go to therapists who aren't trained or aren't comfortable with it and they get some really horrible advice sometimes Um, you know to people telling women, well, well, you know, you should just watch porn with him and it's not that big a deal. And you know, where for her, obviously it is. And, um, so if you're looking for a therapist, um, you know, I'm obviously, uh, we're CSAT trained, which is certified sex addiction therapist. Um, so that's ITAP, which is the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. I think that's what it stands for. So there's a website for that. SASH is the Society for the Advancement of Sexual Health. That's going to be another organization where if you go there, you know there's going to be therapists that are comfortable with sex and sexuality. Mm. ASECT, um, so your sex, uh, sex therapists. Anybody from those realms, you're going to be able to come in and say, any kind of sexual thing that maybe you think is weird and out of the box and we'll just be like, okay, yeah, heard that a lot. Not a big deal. Um, So there's a comfort level to just talk about it. Um, You know, there's 12. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, and and not judgment, not judgment. Right. So it's one of the um, favorite lines that I stole from one of my colleagues. She's a sex therapist. I'm not going to yuck your yum. (laughs) Which, you know, it, it, I don't have to be into it. It doesn't have to be my thing, but if that's your thing. Yeah. Right. You know, as my philosophy is if it is consensual and legal, so we're not involving minors and you got two consensual adults, I don't really care what you're doing. Yeah. We get into trouble when it's not consensual and you can use that even, you know, if you've got a couple where one partner's engaging in pornography in secret mm-hmm. and the other doesn't know if it's a couple where they've talked about it and one partner likes to look at porn, the other's not that into it, but they've talked about it and it's okay. Yeah. Not a problem. Right. No it's secrets. The not, it's the not consensual part. Yeah. When absolutely. Not saying it's okay. Yeah. And so uh, people who identify as addicts can go to 12 step. There's um, 
S-L-A-A, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, S-A and S-A-A. Um, I think that's Sexaholics Anonymous and Sex Addicts Anonymous. I always get my little monikers mixed up. Um, you know, and, and those organizations do have meetings for partners. Um, you know, they're a little more few and far between. So there's many resources as there are for partners. There's also um, organizations that specialize in treating partners. Um, and I will have to send you the link so you can put it up for your people because I'm not remembering. It's a very long acronym and I don't remember what everything stands for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so any of these resources. I can provide to you. But yeah. honestly, it's just go talk to people. You know, find someone that you can, even if you just come once and, you know, sort of what we say, puke it out, <laughs> get it off your chest and like, am I crazy? And we're going to be like, no, this is a struggle for you and let's figure out what we can do to help make it better. And so um, I know you're in... Pennsylvania, a little bit outside of Philly. So yes. do you have stuff coming up in your practice that you would like to share here? So we are um, sort of slowed down for the summer, um, kind of like everybody else probably. Yeah. Um, so what, you know, the one thing that we are starting yeah. is um, a coaching program. Awesome. Um, so that would be video or, um, you know, internet or phone. I kind of prefer the internet, HIPAA compliant video software. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people are in rem more remote places mm -hmm. um, because dealing with sexuality issues is a specialty. Um, you know, maybe there's not a therapist who helps. Um, and so a coaching programs, not therapy, but it's something that we thought we could offer to give people, you know, a chance to work through, um, you know, guided workbooks um, like the facing the shadows with Patrick Carnes. Um, I do a coaching program for offenders who maybe don't have like pretrial offenders who don't have anyone near them to kind of help them through this legal process um, to just give them some support. Not, not the same as a therapist, but we get calls all the time from, you know, somebody in West Virginia whose closest therapist is like an hour and a half away. They can't do that. They need some help too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little more generalized, not going necessarily into the deeper therapy. Yeah, stuff, it's giving them those first. Yeah. It's a lot, you know, it's, it's coaching is much more problem solving, not going back into that history of trauma and things like that. But again, it's at least support for people who don't have access to, um, you know, a really well-trained therapist in their geographic area. Awesome. So how do people find you? Sure. So the website is uh, www.sexualaddictiontreatmentservices.com. Um, and that's got all of our contact information, all the services that we uh, offer. I've got a little blog out there when I get on a soapbox <laughs> about something and I start writing, um, which is drjensrecoveryreadings.com. Um, and those are the best places to hunt us down. If you have questions, people can always contact me. I'm happy to, to chat or, you know, if they say, hey, I'm in Idaho, I need a referral. I've got a good network of colleagues that I know do this work and we can help them find a great resource. Fantastic. Well, Jennifer, thank you so, so much for coming back and recording <laughs> this with me. I Absolutely. Like, I believe this conversation was even better than the last one. So that's awesome. Too. <laughs> Good. So uh, thanks again. And I'm sure we'll find a reason to talk again. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks again for tuning in, subscribers and listeners. I really appreciate your loyalty and your ratings and reviews. So keep them coming. I check them out. I read them. I appreciate them. It helps grow my podcast because iTunes then says, hey, people like this podcast, so let's promote it some more. Um, 
I really enjoyed this conversation with Jennifer. As I said, I tried recording the first time around or thought I was recording and we had to re-record. So I really appreciated her coming back and doing that again with me. And it was an even better conversation. I think it really broadened my knowledge about problematic sexual behaviors and how it impacts both people in a partnership, in, in, in a relationship, that it's not just the person who's struggling with the problematic behaviors, it's their partners too. So there's help for both and it's important if there are issues within the relationship that revolve around sexual behavior, there's help. There are people out there that are trained to do this work and are there and ready to help when needed. So um, I hope this was helpful and I hope you all have a wonderful week. Uh, I know it's hot and humid here in Annapolis, so wherever you are, I hope you're enjoying your summer and uh, I'll see you next week for the Woman Warriors podcast. Ciao for now from This Woman Warrior. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the Woman Warriors podcast. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guests' profiles at womanwarriors.com.